0: You are Locked On Nationals, your daily Washington Nationals podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every
1: day. Hello, everybody. Josh Neighbors here for the Locked On at Nationals podcast. Today's show here, it is March 16th, 2021, Crossover Part 1, Ryan Finkelstein of Locked On Mets and I. Uh, discuss in this episode of kind of how the 2021 New York Mets came to be and who is the best in the division the Mets or the Braves you guys know I think it's the Braves but we talk about uh, you know kind of give a comparison conversation between the Mets and the Braves here and, and the part two of our is pretty Nats heavy uh, so that will drop on Wednesday but I think you guys are going to enjoy this conversation I really get into the weeds of the New York Mets and you guys know the part one of these of these you know crossovers i'm trying to get you guys the information about these teams about how they came to be their 2021 versions so really mets heavy Mets centric today and about really who is the best team in the national league he's coming up on today's show all right is another crossover time of the week this week it is the Mets and the New York uh, New York Mets and the Washington Nationals. I always mess those two up. Uh, New York Mets and Washington Nationals. I am Josh Davers, the host of Locked On Nationals. Joining me is Ryan Finkelstein, the host of Locked On Mets. Ryan, uh, I've been enjoying doing these crossovers. And I think the Mets one was one of the more it's one of the more anticipated for me. Um, because I feel like the Mets and the Nats are the two teams I'm always most in tune with. Uh, but what an offseason. Uh, I, I mean, I, you, you must just be so fired up to see actual – I mean, it's good to see spring training baseball, but you just must be really fired up to see some regular season ball and finally see this collection of talent that the, the Mets have assembled get on the field.
0: hundred percent. I think this is maybe the most excited I've been for an opening day in a really long time. I just want to see Francisco Lindor. I mean, we've seen him in the jersey in spring training, but let's see him in an actual game to see that level of star power on the Mets again, it's going to be a really exciting year. And I do think that this is maybe my most anticipated crossover too, because even though the Braves have been at the top of the division, to me, ever since 2014, 2015, it's always felt like the Nationals-Mets rivalry has kind of been the one that fans get up for the most. Especially, I mean, you're talking about some of those games down the stretch in 2015 in particular that were just, really exciting so I'm gonna be interested to see if the Nationals can hang in there this year that was I think those were series
1: that, that the the Nats fans like to forget I, I mean especially that one that was you know that sweep that was all those games were super close right and that those those games turned the entire season um, for uh, turned the entire season for the Mets really and then I think back in 2019 there was some There was some series down the stretch where the Nats took it to the Mets, you know, and and it was part of the. um, There was was one series in particular where the Mets were trying to swing it back the other way, but Anibal Sanchez helped uh, the Nats avoid a sweep, and really it helped keep them on track. And the the Mets were not able to get a playoff spot that year. But yeah, it feels like these series between the Mets and the Nats are usually pretty good indicators of who is going to the playoffs. When at least when it comes to like. August
0: and on, right? Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, I remember in 2019, you had the game where Todd Frazier hit the tying home run, I think, and mm. then we saw another home run. I think it was or maybe it was Conforto had the walk-off. But, yeah, I mean, that was definitely one of those series where you kind of thought the Mets were going to turn the corner, and then they didn't. And I think with Washington, I mean, in 2016, after 2015, I remember Daniel Murphy just making Mets fans just cringe every single game, hitting like 450 on the year against his former team. So I really like watching these two teams go back and
1: forth. For me, one question I need to ask you is this, and I've asked everybody else. Are, should the Mets be the favorites to win the division? Because to me, I think it should be the Braves. I know analytics people don't think like this, but uh, to me, I always think like, you know, until you beat the Braves, right, the team that's won the division consecutive, you know, three consecutive seasons, and it's the same group, right? The, the team got better, in my opinion. I feel like no matter what other teams do in the division, until, until proven otherwise, it's the Braves and everybody else is chasing them. How do you feel about that? I, I agree with you
0: 100%. I mean, I see the Pocota ridiculous rankings, and you, you don't want to see Mets fans get too carried away with stuff like that because we've seen the Mets win off seasons before. I mean, if you go even last year, there was all this talk about the Mets having such a deep rotation because they added Rick Porcello and Michael Waka, and that didn't pan out. So I think this team is much better positioned to take on the Braves. I think that they have way more depth to actually get through a full season where last year they were really thin. So the Mets have a much better chance, but you're right. you got to knock off the reigning division champs, and Atlanta didn't take a step back. So I don't get why people are really downgrading them from what they were last year. I think they're going to be just as good. And I think a perfect example on today's show on Locked On Mets, I ranked the outfields in the division, and I had the Braves number one. Even though the Mets, I think, had the best hitting outfield, you look at Atlanta and the ability to have a great defense out there is kind of a separator. So I just look at the Braves as a team with less holes.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's a team that's proven and – Uh, You know, I I liked, I mean, the the Mets made a lot of great moves for the rotation, obviously, in this offseason, but I thought the Braves did a lot to solidify things. And, you know, I've been using the case that I don't think a rotation, like like when you get an older guy, right, the the Nats brought in John Lester, well, you know, a lot of guys can pick his brain, right? Older guys can pick his brain, but um, those kinds of guys are better served helping out really younger rotations. Those guys can learn just, there's so much more those guys can learn. And I love the fact that Charlie Morton can help those young guys on the Braves learn, right? There's so many good young arms, whether it's Ian Anderson or Max Freed or Mike Soroka, all those guys are going to have the chance to learn from him. And also he's another great arm to add to the rotation. People don't like, people have laughed at Drew Smiley acquisition. He had a very nice year last year. I thought it's really really, if he's going to be your fifth guy or you know whatever the situation is going to be with him, it's pretty solid. Right. And like, I would, use the, I would use the analogy for your, you know, compared to the Nats. The Nats don't even know who their fifth guy is going to be. I'd much rather have Drew Smiley as a number five than, than you know, the idea that it could be Austin Voth or it uh, could be Eric Fetty or you know, it could be somebody, Joe Ross. I'd rather know that it's Drew Smiley than have one of those three guys end up being it. So I, I still like what they've done the rotation, even though it was not as much of a star-studded gathering of guys in the offseason.
0: Yeah, I think it's actually a a pretty interesting debate. I mean, as I just talked about the rankings, that's going to be a fun one, trying to rank these collective starting rotations, and I think the Mets fare pretty well, but you look at Atlanta top to bottom, and and I mean, there's definitely an argument to be made that they have the best rotation, and then you bring in the Nationals, and you talk about maybe the best top three, and I think there might be a little bit of concerns about Scherzer coming off a down year and the age, but... I mean, he's still Max Scherzer, who's Mm -hmm. always been so dominant ever since signing with the Nats and even a little bit before that, too. So I think that's going to be really interesting to see which of these rotations kind of solidifies themselves as the top group. And even if you talk about the Marlins, they have a lot of young pitching. The Phillies, Zach Wheel and Aaron Nola are a pretty good one-two punch. So there is a lot of good starting pitching in this division.
1: You no, know, it's funny. Also you mentioned those other teams. I've, I've done the Braves and the Phillies so far for my crossovers. And we've kind of all echoed the same thing. I think there's actually a pretty good understanding for people who like look at this division. And that's, that's really what we do, especially for the last year. I feel like there's been a whole lot of staring, you know, at each other's teams because we played each other so much. And I think the consensus is pretty much the same when it comes to like where the teams you know stack up i think that a lot of people do believe the braves are still a team to beat now you know the mets i do believe have put themselves into position to compete and it's because of that rotation number one i mean no matter how well you can hit right you can try any any lineup you want to if there's no pitching there to back it up you can't ask the guys you know at the plate to get it done every single day for you so when it comes to that rotation Obviously, DeGrom is the one. Do you think that when Syndergaard comes back, they're just going to kind of naturally throw him in wherever and not really worry about, a? Hey, is it the one, two, three, four, five, mm-hmm. right? And just kind yeah. of – they just integrate him wherever he kind of naturally fits. Or do you think they're going to try to figure it out to where he's on a certain day between two guys after somebody? What do you What do you think that Noah Syndergaard situation is going to be as, as his um, health status, you know, believe it's going to improve, but as he kind of works his way back. I think it's
0: really going to depend on the health of the rest of the rotation. I mean, I could see a scenario where Syndergaard's ready, but let's just say you you have DeGrom, Stroman, Carrasco. They're all dealing, and maybe even Tywad Walker's having a good year. Maybe it's David Peterson who stepped up in that fifth spot. I mean, there's even a chance that if everyone is healthy, that Syndergaard can really kind of get eased back into the rotation, and maybe they – throw him out of the bullpen for a bit just to start to eventually ramp him up so he's ready for the playoffs. But overall, I mean, usually these problems kind of work themselves out. Someone's going to get hurt. Someone's not going to perform. I just really like the fact that the Mets have the depth that even if they lose a couple of guys, they have David Peterson, they have Joey Lucchese, they have Jordan Yamamoto, they have some guys to fill in. And then when you eventually get to the playoffs, if the Mets are there – and they can roll out a rotation of Jacob deGrom, Noah Syndergaard, Marcus Stroman, and Carlos Carrasco. I feel pretty good about their chances to win a long series.
1: Quick pause for the cause here today on Locked On at Nationals Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by rockauto.com. rockauto.com is a family-run business focused on getting auto parts, to your customers at a very, very affordable price. It is a family-run business, online serving auto parts customers for nearly 20 years. Best of all, the prices, as I said, at rockauto.com are always reliably low, and the same for pros and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts, go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so you know what we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. So right now, you know, if, if you were rolling it out kind of on a day-to-day basis, you'd say it's DeGrom, Stroman, Carrasco, would you go Walker, uh, um, uh, Taiwan Walker, and then David Peterson? Would you go him then Joey Lucchese? Would you go him then Jordan Yamamoto, as you mentioned? How would you currently construct the Nets or the Mets starting five, rather, if you were heading into the season and you were managing the
0: team? Yeah, I'd say coming into spring, I said it would have been David Peterson for sure, but Jordan Yamamoto has looked really good, so I can see a situation here. I mean, Peterson got knocked around his last start it's spring, it's not a big deal. But if he has another bad outing, you're talking about a guy with 10 appearances at the big league level who never pitched in AAA. So I don't think it's out of the, the question that he might start the season in AAA if Jordan Yamamoto keeps pitching really well. But I think the bottom line is they have options. I still think they will probably lean towards Peterson as long as he finishes camp strong. But I think that both of those guys, in particular, Peterson, Yamamoto, probably make, the opening day roster. One of them might just be that long man coming out of the bullpen.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. And let's I mean, let's go to the kind of the manager spot. That's something I want to hit on. Luis Rojas, uh, you know, back for a year. I guess was number two. Uh, is it two now for him. Was three. Yeah, year two. Number two. Yeah. So you know, weird situation. You know, and and it's the Mets have had a tumultuous offseason when it's come to um, you know, obviously. A variety of things. Mickey Coway's behavior has come to light, and then uh, totally forgetting who is the guy they hired. That was Jared the, Porter. Jared Porter, right? Yeah, total jerk. Mm-hmm. Um, what you know? What are your thoughts on that? And you know, do you think there needs to be some? I mean, I, I think we all probably agree there needs to be some conversation with that front office about how you go about hiring. But I just kind of want your take on all all, all those things that transpire this offseason. I think this
0: is really such a weird circumstance with the Mets because. You know, the Porter situation is completely on this regime. They hired him, they didn't do enough vetting, and it was a big lesson for them. Mickey Callaway, I mean, that was a situation where Sandy Alderson at the time hired him. So, like it's very tough to kind of separate these instances and not look at the big problem there. And I think that you know, Alderson now really has to be careful making these hires, and obviously it's a big problem around baseball that these guys continue to get opportunities. I mean, you, you, the, the Mickey Calloway stuff, I mean hearing some of the reports about, you know, what he, what was going on in Cleveland before he even got to the Mets, how did that not end up on the Mets doorstep at some point before they made that decision? So I think overall, I th- the Mets really have to be careful now because they just can't continue to be associated with these types of issues but hopefully they've learned from their mistakes so far. And I think right now, if you look at the people in place, and obviously, you know, we never really know what goes on behind the scene, but I think right now they're in pretty good hands. I mean, Luis Rojas seems like a stand-up guy. I think that Zach Scott doesn't seem like there's anything there. But, again, we really don't know. So I just hope they have the right people in place and they they stop making these mistakes.
1: One last pause in the action today to let you guys know that today's show is brought to you by our friends at BetOnline.ag. You guys know the deal. BetOnline.ag is the best place to get your sports action, your sports fix. They've got you covered wall-to-wall. NBA, college hoops, NHL, all in full swing. MLB futures, they have their BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality television. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine, Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up today. Head to the website or use your mobile device, sign up today, and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts with that promo code locked on, that's L O C K E D O N locked on, to receive that 50% deposit bonus. Today's show is also brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting, best for you protein bar out there right now. Guys, go to bar underscore built on Twitter. They are having their Built Bar Madness matchup. Uh, their matchup's there, so you have to go and vote on your favorite Built Bars. You also can go to BuiltBar.com today. Use that promo code LOCKEDON15 to receive a 15% discount on your next purchase. At builtbar.com. Also, let you guys know tomorrow is crossover Wednesday in addition to today. So, on tomorrow's episode, you guys are going to get part two of my conversation with Ryan Finkelstein uh, about the Nationals and the Mets. It's going to be a more of a Nats centric episode that we discuss uh, more about the division in the National League as a whole, as I'd like to do with each host. And we get some, some picks for who we think is going to make the National League, uh, the playoffs in the National League. You know, we've been doing something different for a prediction at the end of each one of these shows. And one of them, you guys heard us, uh, Dan and I kind of guessed the over-unders. Dylan and I did something similar for, you know, who makes the playoffs. Now Ryan and I are going whole picture in the National League this season. I think you guys are going to enjoy that. All right, back to my conversation today, part one of my crossover with Ryan Finkelstein of the Locked On Mets podcast. Yeah, it, it's really funny. So obviously, you know, I, I'm, I work on the college side of things for Sirius XM and for, and for big 12, or excuse me, and for, uh, you know, on, on the college side for both uh, locked on and, and for serious XM. And we just had the same thing happen with Kansas where Les Miles, you know, the football coach at Kansas, find, you know, they find out all this stuff happened at LSU and um, the athletic director of at Kansas, Jeff Long, ends up getting fired alongside of Les Miles at KU. And it's kind of approaching Jeff Long territory in my opinion, because, you know, a lot of, like, like, people talk in this business, obviously, right? You get recommendations. Um, you know, not knowing something, it's not an excuse if you're a general manager because, you know, uh, it's your job to do that, right? It's your job to find something out. It's your job, you know, if you ask a candidate and say, hey, is there anything I should know about that, you know, could be embarrassing, if they tell you no, well, okay, obviously they're going to tell you no. They want the job that you're, that you're interviewing for. So, I do think Sandy Alderson. I mean, it's it's a couple hires now where he, you know, it's a couple hires now where it, this has happened, and so I think there does need to be a conversation about about his hiring, not practices, but a look. And I'm not saying he should lose his job. I'm just saying people have been fired for less. Uh, yeah. We just we just saw it. No, no pun intended, but uh, we just saw somebody get get fired for less than what when, what Sandy Alderson has done. So that's just kind of my two cents.
0: On well, the thing too for me is, you know, I was basically covering the team during both of those searches to hire Callaway, to hire Porter. And it's not like these hires were made overnight. I mean, we're talking about a week, you know, weeks and weeks of this process of interviewing candidates and, you know, supposedly doing your research. So right. what were they looking into that that didn't allow these things to show up is, is really the question.
1: Yeah, a lot of times guys, you know, especially GMs, Get somebody in mind, right? Or, or whoever's you know, CFO, CEO, whatever they, you know, the title is presidents of whatever operations. They get somebody in mind they want to hire, and even athletic directors too. Get somebody in mind they want to hire, and they're very one-track minded until they get that person right. And they'll make up excuses they right, to bring that person on. So I'm, I'm with you there. It's too long of a process, to, you know, to for me to really give them a pass on that. But we'll see. Uh, you know, obviously, hopefully to make hires of quality people moving forward, uh, because, you know, even though it's team rival teams here, I guess you could say, you never want to see these kinds of people get into the sport. Uh, but on the Luis Rojas front, somebody who does appear to be a stand-up guy and appears to have the, uh, the backing of the locker room, right? And, and the first season, obviously, with everything going on with the Mets, right? Transition to power and then, you know, a 60-game season, global pandemic, you give a guy a pass, right? And not saying he didn't do, I mean, he did a bad job. I don't, you know, the team wasn't very good, but I don't think it was necessarily his fault. Now there's a lot of expectations on you. You have a loaded roster. And my concern for Luis Rojas is if things don't go well out of the gate, the heat's going to fall on him when I think there's an adjustment period, right? I mean, think about this. These guys aren't playing in New York right now. They're playing in, you know, uh, Florida, right? They're, they're not actually in New York. And, there is an adjustment period. Whatever, whatever it is in life that you do, if you live, move to somewhere else and start, you know, maybe it's the same occupation, but start playing somewhere else, you, you have to get used to your new co-workers, right? Get in rhythm with them. It's a whole lot to do, especially a guy like James McCann, right? James McCann's gotta learn a whole new staff, right? On the same at the same time, he's gotta you know still be a good productive hitter. So my worry is that things, you know, if they go south to the beginning. It could be a natural thing, right? Where everybody's just got to get themselves together and acclimated. And then a heads up, But I think there could be some early heat, and it might not be deserved.
0: Yeah, I look at Luis Rojas, and I was saying this the other day, he is in a really tough spot. I mean, on one hand, you could say, look, this is an amazing opportunity. He's got a team of a lot of talent, a lot of talent that he helped develop, too, as a minor league manager. So he's close to a lot of these guys, I'm sure, He's, you know, thrilled about this chance to take this team and hopefully bring them to the next level. But when I look around, if this season doesn't go as planned, Sandy Alderson's probably not going anywhere. You know, him and Steve Cohen have been, you know, attached at the hip with with running this team. You know, they just brought in Zach Scott. Are you really going to to blame the kind of faceless GM that no one really knows about? Like, no, the the guy that has to really – get pointed to if the Mets don't win, it's Luis Rojas. And it's not really fair because you look at managers nowadays, and I, I don't even know why you'd want to be a big league manager, to be completely honest, because you don't get the same leeway to make your own decisions. It's all about analytics. Yet you have to explain the decisions at the end of every game. And if the team loses, you're often fired. So he's in a really interesting spot where it can go very well for him. And it could be you know a lot of praise if the Mets are great, but he is the prime scapegoat if things don't work out.
1: Right. I mean, th- we just got an example of the World Series. You know, all the heat falls on Kevin Cash. Well, it's clearly a process that, that is a uh, tested and and you know analytically driven process that's got nothing to do with the whims of Kevin Cash. And I think you're right. And, and yes, there are some instances where you know it's it's important uh, to manage games. And I think one thing for him is. How is this bullpen going to get managed, right? Uh, we know we know that this bullpen is. If you took a step back and look at the names in the Mets bullpen, I think loaded is a fair term to use. Uh, once you kind of get into the weeds, though, whether it be by performance or by injury, these guys have not all been their best while they've been wearing you know the orange and blue. So, yeah. what do you think that? What do you, if you were managing the team? Tell me, you know, how you manage the bullpen. And then let's also hear, what do you think Luis Rojas is going to do with the bullpen?
0: Well, so you have Edwin Diaz, you have Trevor May. Those are supposed to be the guys you can count on. Um, Seth Lugo eventually will come back and be a big part of that bullpen. Right now, the huge question mark is, are they going to get anything out of Jarius Familia or Dylan Batanzas? I've been joking about this, but right now the plan with Familia, I don't know if you've heard this, is the catcher is lining up in the middle of the plate. It's like a, it's a 12-year-old throws really hard but has no control and that's what they're doing. They're just like, alright, try to throw a strike. So I don't know if the Mets are going to get a ton out of Familia, even though you look at Familia's stuff and he still has excellent stuff. Guys can't hit him. But if you step in against Familia, I would take until you get a third strike. I mean, just just stand there with the bat on your shoulder and he might walk the bases loaded. So that's where the Mets are with Familia. Batances looks like he is Really, kind of coming on the other side of injuries and age. And I don't know if he's going to be effective. So I'm looking at guys like Miguel Castro, who they acquired last year, Sam McWilliams, who was kind of an underrated offseason addition. They signed him to a major league contract. A guy who's six foot seven and throws in upper 90s with a really nice slider. If some of those guys can kind of pop, maybe the Mets will have a good bullpen. But I've kind of learned to never count on a Mets bullpen. So we'll see what happens.
1: How would you line it up though? Like, like, you know, cause there's if on the Nats side of things, it's a good example. I was talking to, you know, some couple, couple people and talk about how you manage the Nats, the Nats bullpen. Cause you know, they bring in uh, a guy like a Brad hand and you add that to the combination, you know, Tanner Rainey, Will Harris, Daniel Hudson, they already have. And we were saying, look, if you have a guy like that, you pay him closer money, but he does not have to be your closer. You can use Brad hand wherever you feel Especially because he's a lefty, so you know he's probably becoming into somebody's right-handed, which is usually something you want. Um, Just to kind of change-up looks. That's kind of my theory in in bullpens, especially you know if you get a couple lefties in an inning, uh, maybe you know that's that's where you want to bring in Brad Hand. So use him accordingly is kind of the point there. Do you see that to be something that the Mets maybe consider, or are you saying no? There's been too much of that in the recent years. You know, guys sliding around, no natural closer. I want to know who I'm going. You know, if a starter gives me six, I want to know who's going seven, eight, and nine.
0: I think that you really have to think about the personnel. So I don't ever see a reason why you put a familia, uh, even Edwin Diaz, in when you have traffic on the bases. They need clean innings. So I look at Edwin Diaz, and I say he can be your traditional closer. From there, I look at Seth Lugo and Trevor May as the guys that might be the most valuable pitchers out of the Mets bullpen that can be your fire stoppers that can come in At any time, whether it's the fifth inning, if you need them, you know the seventh, the eighth, it doesn't really matter. Have them come in in those high leverage situations when there's traffic on the bases. You need some strikeouts, but I wouldn't be as concerned about them walking in a run. So I think it's more about the situations. I don't think that teams are lining up seven, eight, nine anymore, like you Mm -hmm. said. But to me, Edwin Diaz does not pitch well inheriting runners. So let him be your closer. Let him come in in spots where he can thrive and. The same goes for someone like Familia or even Miguel Castro. He, he walks way too many batters to be a guy coming in to try to, try to get you out of a jam.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. you. know, There's certain guys who just need that kind of clean slate to start inning. There's some guys, hey, you, you, you say, you, you say you, I trust you to get us out of some jams. I, I think when I think about that team fully healthy, like Seth Lugo is a guy who's earned – I think he's earned the trust of Mets fans especially over the last few years. You know, if you were to bring Seth Lugo into tough spots and he gives up some runs, I definitely, Mets fans, would be like, you know what, I understand why he did that, right? I mean, that, that's a guy who was, you know, has been thrust into bullpen and starter spots as a Mets pitcher and has thrived in both, so. I actually
0: I, think, I, I actually think that Mets fans trust bullpen Lugo as the rotation he has, he has a short rope. Like, people are not happy when <laughs> Seth Lugo's starting because he just gets I, 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 around yeah. all the time.
1: Yeah, I, I, th- I think... So I'm more referencing that run in 2016, obviously, where they had yeah. to, he and Gesellman obviously had to come out of, you know, and he made a very good acquittal of him. I mean, he made a very good accounting of himself, right? I think that's what I'd say. And then his move to the bullpen, he's done a very good job as well. So I, I'm just saying holistically, yeah, yeah. yes. Seth Legola as a starter, sure. You know, maybe not the ropes not as long, but as a, as a bullpen pitcher, I feel like he's earned the faith and also relative to the performances around him, a bit more consistency, I, I think you could say, right?
0: Yeah, but also Mets fans are crazy because Edwin Diaz <laughs> might not ever live down the 2019 season. He was great last year. And people are still, like, if you go on social media and look at comments like, no, I don't trust Edwin Diaz. You know, he's garbage. But it's like, can you, you know, put aside one bad season where the ball was juiced and look at what the guy's done? Because Edwin Diaz is lights out. He's one of the best relievers in baseball.
1: What do you think the ball – like, this is actually the first conversation I had about this. Like, what do you think the real results of the ball being un- unjuiced, quote-unquote, is going to be? Because obviously Major League Baseball never admitted to the ball being juiced until they admitted that they're going to unjuice the ball, right, which was really <laughs> it's a really odd, very weird look. Um, what do you think the result's going to be of this? Because I have no clue. And I can't – I mean, once again, I I basically had to watch – uh i've had to use nefarious means to watch Matt spring training games because they don't televise them that's really (laughs) hilarious but you know from the games i I, am not sure really i'm not really sure if i can tell a difference yet um i'm not sure if i'm going to be able to tell a difference what do you think
0: i think you're going to see some of those guys that have been hitting 20 home runs i I think it's the guys with the middling power that are going to drop off i mean is is a dead in baseball going to impact juan soto or pete alonso like i don't think so those guys hit home runs well past the fence, but I'm trying to think of kind of the guys in the middle who, you know, might not have as much success with the power. And I think you're going to see some of those guys who've been getting a lot of opportunities because they've been able to capitalize on that, you know, that juice baseball. Maybe kind of fall off a bit. I mean, I don't know. I'm thinking like
1: Starlin Star- Castro had a 20 home runs there. Season you go, Castro, and that guy only hit singles. So I mean, I don't. I I think he might just hit a lot more. Yeah. I think it's a good point, right? Because those – and I think the Mets lineup is full of guys who are, like I, – I, I hate to use, like, the baseball, like, the generic kind of thought. Like, young, like, strapping dudes. Like, they've got a lot of – you know what I mean? Like, you got some Michael Confortos and your J.D. Davises and your Pete Alonzos who are, like, these young, you know, big you know big dudes. Um, you know, Juan Soto fits that mold perfectly, right? Young, really – I mean, just really super athletic big guy. But, yeah, it's your milling guys, right? Your aging guys. I think Scooter, Scooter Jeanette is a great example. Stalin Castro, another example of a guy who's, you know, getting up there in age. Um, but your guys who are pure power hitters, you don't think you'll see much of a drop-off?
0: No, I don't think so. Derek Dietrich is another one that just popped in my head. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty random. He so you could have, like, a 10-home run month again with no <laughs> baseball. I don't know about that.
1: All right, that will do it for today's show. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Josh Neighbors. Follow the show at LO underscore Nationals. And until next time, my friends, please stay safe.